Thanks. Great. Okay. Well, from looking further ahead to looking at where we are now, um, could I have the PowerPoint? Brilliant. Thank you. We're in a series, um, as many of you will be aware, on abundant life in the Gospels, looking at the book of Romans as our main text. And we're about two thirds of the way through the series, so it seems like a good point to have a quick stock take and say, why is it we're doing this series again? Just a quick reminder. One way that we can look at it that we found quite helpful is using a little diagram. How many people remember this from school? Oh, clearly we're in trouble if the fire department come here. Then. <laughs> this is the fire triangle. Three things you need to have a fire. You need to have sufficient oxygen, sufficient heat, sufficient fuel. Take away any one of those, the fire doesn't happen. And to, we've been looking in this series at one aspect of what I'm going to call the fruit triangle. This is adapted... <laughs> This is adapted from something that Bill Hybels wrote about in a book called Being a Contagious Christian, which came out when I was a student, which dates it somewhat. But you know what, it's actually very true. And effective discipleship, we have found, happens when these three things come together. Close proximity, so living in people's lives with them, sharing life, um, the life and power of God at work in us, and clear communication. So our missional communities that we have, our small groups that meet out in the community, are really good at this close proximity thing. That bit of it has worked fantastically. If you go to any missional community, they'll be able to give you, you know, a good number, possibly as many as the number of people in the group, of common friends who uh, they all connect with, who they really have a genuine sense of relationship with. That close proximity bit really works in missional communities. On Sunday mornings, we really seek to have encounter with God in the worship. And I, I trust you did this morning. Um, I did. I met with God in the worship. And it's powerful. We, we love to come together on a Sunday morning and to seek God's life and power in us. We also do that in our meetings like the Kingdom Come meeting this evening. And I just want to plug that again. Please do come if you can. Um, back here at it's 7.30 for 8, isn't it? Um, I'm looking at Andy. 7.30. We'll just say 7.30. Okay. Um, so 7.30 this evening, please do come. Fantastic time just to spend further unhurried time in the presence of God praying and worshipping. And also in our own individual lives, we want to be seeking the life and power of God in us, which leaves clear communication. And I think it's been a common factor for many of us. And Sanjay picked up on this in what he said about you know, having that script to help him through explaining the gospel, that actually when we find ourselves in situations where there is somebody who we know well, who we love, and who clearly has some experience of either of the, the power of God through us, we've prayed with them and they've seen something happen, or they have a hunger for God, we find ourselves a little bit tongue-tied explaining to them the gospel. And so this series is aimed at that bottom part, the clear communication. What we're trying to do is help us as a community to understand the gospel so well that we can explain it clearly, and also to overcome barriers. So, for instance, if you were here last week, Joe spoke fantastically on overcoming barriers of fear and guilt and feeling unloved. You know, those are barriers that can prevent us from actually clearly communicating the gospel. So that's our intent in this series, to help us to clearly communicate the gospel. We've looked at the gospel through lots of different lenses. Uh, we talked about the gospel being the power of God for the salvation of people, um, Steve spoke a couple of weeks back about the gospel as reconciliation and forgiveness. That was really good. Today, we're going to look at the gospel through the lens of slavery and freedom. So we're in Romans 6. 
And this is Romans 6, 1 to 7. I wonder if you've got a Bible with you or a phone which has a Bible app. Can you turn to Romans 6? This is what Paul has to say. Obviously, we're picking up somewhere through a letter, so it refers to what he said previously, but it stands alone. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We're those who've died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the, to the, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. This passage always reminds me of the first job that I ever had. I was temping doing data entry in a payroll department and we went out for a meal together at the end of one of the weeks and my manager said, so are you a born again Christian? What does that mean? And I totally bottled the question. I I hadn't really thought it through. I hadn't thought through what the terminology meant. It was just a bit of jargon that came out. I probably wouldn't even have necessarily used those words if I'd chosen to explain my faith. But actually, if I was going to have another shot at it now, I suppose one way that I could say it would be, you know what, the old way of living where it was all about me, the old way of living where I did what I wanted, I have to be so completely gone from that that the best way to describe it is total death and total rebirth. And actually, slavery is something where there's there's only really two ways out of slavery, aren't there? Either the master's willing and you're set free, or you die. And here, you know, the master isn't willing. So the way out of slavery is death and rebirth. And that's what I think I would say these days if I was asked that same question. You know, I've died to the old way of living. I've been raised to a new way of living where I'm not subject to that anymore. There's a chap called Neil Anderson. Some of you will know. Wave a hand if you've read a book by Neil Anderson. Yeah, it's good smattering. Okay. So Neil Anderson was brought up in an environment where if somebody had a major spiritual issue in their life, particularly if it was some kind of habit or compulsion, that the way that you dealt with it was you gathered around people who carried faith, maybe some of the elders of the church or some of the pastors, other people who were faithful prayers. You laid hands on them and you proclaimed the blood of Jesus over them. You declared their freedom. You declared that Christ had died for them and you cast out any evil power that was at work in them and you saw them delivered. And you know, and they, his reflection is they saw stuff shift when they did that. They saw people set free and then they also noticed that six months, a year later, these same people were back where they had been. And they held a conference about it. It was really interesting. Him and a bunch of other people held this conference where they said, what is going wrong? We see the power of God at work. We see people being you know, delivered of stuff. And yet they're back in the same ways by a year later. What's going on? And what they ended up concluding is that although the slavery had been broken, the power had been broken, that people weren't owning their own freedom. And so they weren't living in it. The best way I can explain it, really, we've... Um, In my family, my mum teaches English as a foreign language, and so we often had students staying with us when we were kids, um, when we were growing up. And once one of our students' parents came over, her dad came over to visit. He'd grown up all his life in the Eastern Bloc, in in the communist area of Eastern Europe, 
and he'd never actually left his home country before. So he arrived in the UK. I think it was my dad picked him up at the airport. And the first thing he said was, um, so um, how do I get to the police station? And they said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, don't I have to tell them that I'm here and where I'm going and, you know, what, who I'm staying with, what my itinerary is? I said, no, you're, you're free to go wherever you like. <laughs> it's fine. And actually back home in his country, the same was true by then. He could go wherever he liked if he wanted to. He didn't have to tell people. But he was still stuck in that mindset of slavery because it was so ingrained in him. And he wasn't owning his freedom. And I think we can end up in that situation as well. I want to pick up particularly on, um, on one particularly troubling one. I think Joe touched on this last week as well. Um, because when we want to get free from things, we can end up trying to do it just on our own. And we can feel like we can't talk to people about it. We can feel like if I was really honest about what was going on in my life, people would reject me. And something that has been brought home to me again and again from statistics, from people talking about it, is that one of the biggest compulsions that continues in the church is pornography. And I think of all of the things that you could confess to, of all the things that you could say to somebody, I struggle with this, that's probably the hardest, because it seems somehow even more shameful than everything else. It seems like if, if you ever told anybody that, it's so intimate and so shameful that they would surely reject you. And because of that, it stays in the dark. And because of that, it stays unconfessed. And it, can, it has a power which, if it was brought out into the open, would be broken. People would be able to say, look, you're not slave to it anymore. Let's help you walk free. But I know that that's hard to believe when you're in it. And with a little trepidation, I therefore want to say, I used to struggle with this. I was addicted for 10 years, ending just as I got to the end of my student years. And it was horrible, and I'm not proud of it. But you know what? I won't reject you. So if you're worried that you can't confess it to anybody, come and talk to me. But actually, I can also say, I spoke to Adam about it when I was a student. I don't know if you remember that. I spoke to about six or seven people in total, and none of them rejected me, because we are all saved by grace. At the end of the talk, there's going to be a chance to come forward for a number of things. And so people won't know what you're coming forward for. <laughs> but I want to encourage you, don't leave it another day. If you're, if you're in any compulsion that is controlling you, anything sinful, but particularly if pornography is an issue, and statistics say it's one in three, <laughs> one in three people here in this room, don't let it continue. Come and talk to somebody, please. Come and get prayed for. And can I encourage you, if you end up praying for somebody about this at the end of the service, in a way that they're comfortable with and in a gentle way, would you make some plan to make contact with them again? Because this is something which needs somebody walking alongside you um, to make it ongoing freedom. Once we're not living in slavery, once we understand that we're free, we can then talk authoritatively to other people about it as well, can't we? Because it is a great message that we have. It's a huge message of freedom. And if we know that we're set free, we can then talk to other people and say, look, this is possible. 
And it's for non-Christians as well. You know, it's not just a message of hope within the church. This is for people who don't yet know Jesus but are still caught in the old pattern of things. You know, people may not realize that they're slaves. Jesus said to the Jews in John 8 that they were slaves to sin. And they said, hang on a second. We're not slaves to anybody. We're children of Abraham. He said, no, you are. You're slaves. This is why. And you see, what I want to pick up on is that the world's idea of freedom really is slavery. That may not seem obvious. I want to just take three different approaches to that. There's lots of different ways you could explain how the world's idea of freedom is really slavery, but I just want to take three different ones. Here's one. Actually, it's futile. The freedom of the world is futile. Ecclesiastes 2. Ecclesiastes isn't where I turn in the morning if I want to pick me up. But you know what? It's a gift to the church, isn't it? Because this is somebody who has gone places that most of us will never go and has still reported back on what it's like. This is Ecclesiastes 2. I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this too was meaningless. So I said, laughter's silly. What good does it do to seek pleasure? After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. And while still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. Does anyone recognize that perhaps from student days? While seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. In this way, I tried to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate my many flourishing groves. I bought slaves, both men and women, and others were born into my household. I owned large herds and flocks, more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasury of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and had many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire. So I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was also meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. So quite stark words, aren't they? All those different things, all those different avenues that we could seek to find meaning in. And he says, look, I've been there. Without God, it's meaningless. And I think it's no wonder that when people are at their most hedonistic, they're also the most empty. One of the stories I've really enjoyed hearing unfold over the last few weeks has been um, some of the students have been going out into Oxford's nightclubs. Uh, Mark's been heading up a team going out there. They've been hanging around in the smoking areas for when people come outside for a smoke. I think the girls have been going into the loos for when the girls go off to the loo together. And they've been finding when people step out of that environment... Or, you know, temporarily, that environment where they've gone to, to seek excess, to seek fun, to seek pleasure of all different kinds. Actually, they're really wide open to talking about Jesus. There's this emptiness even at the very heart of seeking pleasure and meaning. So that's one lens on why the world's idea of freedom is actually slavery. Here's another one. Um, Biffy Clyro. Living is difficult because everything dies. Don't want to waste no more time. Time is what we don't have. Familiar words, perhaps. If you're not of that generation, how about Pink Floyd? (laughs) 
I'm a bit of a Floyd fan, I'll confess. But actually, yeah, thank you. Yeah, let's have <laughs> a little bit of support here. Make me feel like I'm not some kind of aged rocker, because I'm really not. This is what Pink Floyd have to say about the problems of freedom in the world. Ticking away the moments that make up a dull day. Fritter and waste the hours in an offhand way. Kicking around on a piece of ground in your hometown, waiting for someone or something to show you the way. Tired of lying in the sunshine, staying home to watch the rain. You're young and life is long. There's time to kill today. And then one day you find ten years have gone behind you. No one told you when to run. You missed the starting gun. So you run and you run to catch up with the sun, but it's sinking. And racing around to come up behind you again. The sun is the same in a relative way. But you're older, shorter of breath, and one day closer to death. Every year is getting shorter never seemed to find the time. Plans that either come to naught or half a page of scribbled lines. Hanging on in quiet desperation is the English way. The time is gone. The song is over. Thought I'd something more to say. So I'm trying to draw out why it is when people say, you know, I'm free, I can do what I like. Actually, it's not really freedom. Because what we're looking after, what we're looking for, what we're seeking after in that turns out to be meaningless and it all ends up coming to nothing it, we die things break things disappear but actually there is good news in this you know paul picks up on the fact that even along the way we don't even find peace he says there are things that he does wrong yet he does them other things he knows he shouldn't do so he should do but he doesn't he's at odds with god he's at odds with his own conscience and he ends up saying what a wretched man i am Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? But he doesn't leave it there. This is the end of Romans 7. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Because through Christ, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Yes. Yes, it does. The law of the spirit of life sets us free from sin and death. There is freedom and it's good news. There's freedom and there's purpose and that's good news. If we've been thinking about futility, it's good news that there is purpose in God. You know, Christ sets us free for freedom. That is an end in its own right. Galatians 1 says it. You know, it's for freedom that Christ set us free. And that would be enough in many ways. But he doesn't leave us there because Romans continues. So we're now in Romans 7. So my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ so that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. But now by dying to what once bound us, we've been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So what is this new way of the spirit that we're inviting people into? We've got a good message of freedom. What is the new way of the spirit? Well, I want to explain it using a train platform. You go to a train platform, there's nearly always a little line along it, isn't there? We'll we'll say this is the line here because we've got a nice little line on the stage. Okay, and it says stand behind the line and there's good reasons for that. Okay, if you stand this side of the line and the train comes past, it will not go well with you. You stand this side of the line, you should be fine. Okay, and the thing is that that law, that rule, is a good one. And Paul is at pains to say, when he talks about being dead to the law, he's at pains to say the law is good. It's not like the law is a bad thing. That would be problematic because God gave it as a gift. 
But he says the trouble is that what does the Lord generate in us? Well, it generates the desire to do wrong, doesn't it? Take a child to the train platform. You say, don't go over that line. <laughs> what happens if I just put half the foot over? And before you know it, they're standing on the wrong side of the line. You know, I, why can't I go over the line? What happens if I go over the line? Why shouldn't I go over the line? They, they don't want me to go over the line because I want to have fun. Actually, you can imagine, you know, reading back a little bit. Why shouldn't I pick that fruit? What will happen if I pick the fruit? Maybe I want to find that for myself. Why shouldn't I find that for myself? What Paul says is that the Lord defines sin, but that process makes us want to. And the old way of the law that Paul talks about is that child going, how close can I get to the line? Am I okay if I'm here? Am I okay if I'm here? You know, is it goal line technology? Is it like football where it has to be halfway over? Or is it like tennis where as long as it touches, it's okay? You know, I, we can end up in these, in these fairly futile discussions about it. And actually, the, and you can see the old way of the law still at work. I, I ended up, through some research I was doing for this, on a, a Jewish law forum. And you get some really interesting discussions there. <laughs> really interesting discussions. Um, but there, there were things like, and I understand that the heart in this is wanting to do what's right with God. But there are particular prayers you say where it's a prayer of devotion to God and, and you mustn't interrupt it by talking to somebody else. And there are discussions about, well, is it okay to ask somebody to turn a page for me because I can't turn the page myself? Or what if somebody sends me a text? Am I okay to read it? Am I okay to tell somebody that they're on the wrong page? All these different kind of nuances. And you can see that it's, it's sort of this process of like, well, I want to be the right side of this line. Where, where can I go to? That's the old way of the law. What Paul is saying is there's a better way than this. There's a new way of the spirit that says, I'm not going to be defined by which side of the line I am. That's not what defines me. I'm following Jesus. He's over here. I'm going to go over here. He's not going to go that side of the line, but that's not what's most important. What's most important is that I'm following Jesus. I'm going to get as close as I can to Jesus. I'm going to follow him as far as I can, as hard as I can, as faithfully as I can. And that will take me way away from the line, but that's not the point. You see, legalism, we can talk about legalism and think that it's all about just being obsessed with self-effort. And that's part of it. But I want to say legalism is more than that. Legalism is seeing being on the right side of the line as the end goal. And it's not. Being on the right side of the line is important. But it's not the end goal. The end goal is walking closely with Jesus the whole time. Being devoted to him. Being faithful to him. And that gives us purpose and meaning and life. You see, Christ didn't just set us free to wander around in some kind of free limbo. I'm just going to pick up on an extract from that passage I read. You also died to the law that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. I was really pleased that, who was it who read Isaiah 61 today? Sue. Sue. Thank you, Sue. You know, fruit can look so different. What does it look like to bear fruit for God? I'm not going to define what it looks like to bear fruit for God because it can look so different. But the point is, it's for God. This tree here, this is an artist's impression because the actual tree hasn't yet grown. There's an artist in the States who's planted about 17 of these, grafting different fruits onto a single tree. Each tree has more than 40 different types of fruit grafted onto the same rootstock. And they reckon it will flower for a whole month at a go because of the different um, sort of types of fruit that are on it who knows but it's a lovely idea the point is we can bear all kinds of different fruit in isaiah 61 
you know, breaking free people who are in captivity, <laughs> seeing people restored, seeing ancient ruins rebuilt, whatever it might be. We can bear all kinds of different fruit, but it's got to be God's and it's got to be for God. So I've talked in the abstract about having a line on which side of the line we are and following Jesus. What does it look like in concrete reality? Well, I think it's this. I think our life needs to be not, here's my plans, here's what I've got in mind. God, is that the right side of your line? You know, here's everything I've got planned. Okay, well, look, that's, that's a little bit over. Let's cut that off and we'll just stick with this. That's not life with God. That's not life in the spirit. Everything has to go to God. <laughs> it's not, God, here's my ideas. It's like, God, what do you want? I want to be totally given over to you. We used to talk here about infecting people with the kingdom of God. And I think we stopped talking about it because it could be taken the wrong way. But, you know, there is something about that. We want to be ruined for anything else because actually the kingdom is all that matters. Now, I'm not saying that therefore everything inside this building is all that matters because that's not what the kingdom of God is. And I'm not saying that at all. But everything we do has got to be for the glory of God and because God wants us to do it, not just because it's a good idea and it doesn't cross a line. Romans 8 goes on that anyone who lives according to the Spirit has their heart set on what the Spirit desires. And I want that to be our heart. (laughs) If you ask me what do I want for us as a community, I want us to be people who are constantly seeking. God, what do you want? What's your heart? How can I be walking more closely with you? How can my life be more given over to you? Anybody who's spent any time around me in a worship meeting will know one of my favorite songs. It's the one that says, Jesus, all for Jesus. All I am and have and ever hope to be. All of my ambitions, hopes, and plans, I surrender them into your hands. For it's only in your will that I'm free. I just encourage you, take some time sometime. Put that song on, on repeat. <laughs> and, and really take that in. Because it's an incredible attitude of heart. I, you know, I, I don't say it because I have it, I say it because I seek it. But it's an incredible attitude of heart, and we can all have it. So there is a call to get free today, but there's also a call to surrender. Are there any things in our lives that are untouchable? Any things where we say, no, but, but that's who I am. That's what I want. And whatever happens, I'm going to get that. Because those need to go to God as well. I find it amazing that Paul was able to write to a church that he thought it was better for them not to marry because of the situation they were in. How can you write that to somebody when that's such an incredible part of people's lives, such a, you know, for many people, one of the hugest life goals they could have, and Paul kind of writes in this way, oh, you know, it's probably better for you not to marry, but you know, if you, if you need to, do. Well, it's because he's writing to a people for whom the goal is not, here's what I want from life, and let's make sure it's okay with God, but What's, what's the best way that I can serve God? What's the most faithful way I can serve God? So is there anything in our lives that's untouchable? Is there anything where we go, I, I wouldn't give that over to God? Let's come and bring it today. And then maybe there's just a call as well to lay ourselves down afresh and say, I want my entire life to be about loving and serving God. Jenna, would you mind coming up um, with your band? That'd be great. In a second, Jenna's going to play a song which I think is the antithesis of all those futile words that we heard earlier. It says, it's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise. And as we sing it, I just want to invite you 
to come forward. If you want to get free, you want somebody to pray with you to be free of something which you feel enslaved to, then please come forward, get prayed for that. If you feel like God is putting his finger on anything in your life that's untouchable and you think, no, I could never give that up, come up, be prayed for. But otherwise, I just want to encourage you, maybe, if, I think it is still a meaningful thing to do, to come forwards. If you just want to lay your life down afresh and say, Jesus, I'm all for you. Whatever I have, whatever I can do, it's all for you. So, can I just invite you now to come, come forward? And, um, if you're not coming forward for that, can I encourage you to be ready to pray for people? <laughs> but don't stand on ceremony. Let's respond to what God's saying to us. Let's get free. Let's lay our lives down to God.